This is A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast written and produced by Counterculture Rebellion, read by the author. Dedication to Paul Dean, or at least that's your cast box handle. Thank you for your kind words about this podcast and my work. Those kind words came at the perfect time for me. I had just a few days before had a negative comment about how my promo episode titled Coming August 31st was non-attention grabbing. Although I know not to get hung up on one silly comment, it is easy to doubt oneself when, well, let's face it, I'm a novice writer and podcaster. Yet, only a few days later, you left me that comment of how you enjoyed my work. And for that, thank you. The group arrives in Lapis, Pennsylvania, and finds out there is some sort of monster, or at least the rumor of a monster lurking about. Yulium and Rebecca share a bonding moment before it is interrupted by a shadowy figure and are forced to take refuge in the stable with Lincoln, Finnegan, and Lilith. When Rodriguez and Douglas arrive, a new plan is formed that involves Yulium and Lincoln making a run for it back to the others to warn them. Just before they arrive, the world grows oddly quiet. All the outside noises had faded, like a volume knob was slowly turned down. The sound of the wind, gone. The sound of the group unloading and shutting down the steam tractors for the night, only blocks ahead of us, gone. I could still see them, but I couldn't hear a peep. The only sound was the slapping of boots, Lincoln and my own, hitting the ground. I could also hear the heavy breathing and panting of myself as I ran. By the time this realization surfaced in my mind, I felt a terrible force strike me hard into the side of my body. And then, well, then I was flying through the air, the quiet air, and striking the cobblestone road below me with a thump. I quickly pushed myself up to see what on earth had hit me, but all I could see was Lincoln, who had stopped running and turned to look at me. His face showed exhaustion. Then his eyes went round with terror. He was not looking at me, but at something behind me. For a few seconds, I was frozen in a mix of confusion. Then my brain reoriented and I slowly turned my gaze from him to what his eyes were glued on in fear. I wish I hadn't. There it stood, black hood covering paste white skin and eyes of red. The blood that had been on its chin before was now gone. The pale lips curved up into a smile that revealed sharp, pointed teeth. Hello, it said in a feminine voice that was smooth and welcoming. You're not from this town, are you? She took a deep breath through her nose. No, you're not. You do not smell like them. Although you do smell of death, are you as evil as them? Maybe your blood needs to be drained to absolve your past as well. She chuckled in a way that sent chills up my spine. She then looked up from me to Lincoln. Do you really think you would be able to shoot me? I mean, your hand is quite shaken. She pointed at Lincoln's trembling hand that held his revolver and smiled. Even if your hand was steady, I already know what's coming. 
I will be out of the way before the hammer strikes the primer. I'm very fast, don't you know? Or did your friend not tell you that? What, what do you want from us? I found my voice and spoke. She kept looking at Lincoln, but spoke to me. From your group of people, I have not decided yet. This town, however, owes me and my brother blood. Blood for blood. She then licked her lips slowly with a tongue that looked more like a serpent than human. If I was you, I would leave this town as soon as day breaks. Do not leave tonight. My brother will be out hunting, and he is not as selective as I am. She then smiled a toothy grin. She moved, but it was more like a blur, as if someone had smudged her out of my vision, and then she was gone. The sound of the wind, buildings groaning, and people moving returned to my ears. Then the boots smacking stove pavement. Lincoln was running up behind me. William, you, you all right? He said. Tara still hung in his voice. Yeah, I'm... I'm just fine. Just lost my footing. He pulled me up by my shoulders. Odd, I, I didn't know those things were intelligent enough to talk. I didn't even know those things existed. Well, at least not here in the UPC. I've heard stories, but it was always of things that happened in the past or some third world country. Lincoln was beginning to sound more calm than terrified, as if his brain had switched from terror mode to scientist. What are we going to do? You go back to the stable and hunker in with them. I don't know how much I trust that thing, but I do know this. We do not want to meet her brother. I'll talk to Leslie and figure out our next move. I think he will, well, he'll probably only believe something like this from my own mouth. We both ran in different directions. Lincoln to the inn and myself back to the stables. To say I made good time back would, well, be an understatement. I may as well have been an Olympic runner going for the world record. The fear, well, that pushed every step further and further, faster and faster until I reached the stable. When I reached the stable doors, they were barricaded, which was smart on their part, but made me a little frustrated being stuck out here longer than I would like. After pounding on the door and waiting for what felt like an age and a half, they let me in. I wiped the sweat from my brow. Half of it cold sweat from fear, and the other half from my run. What happened, and where's Lincoln? Lilith said with a look of worry. Uh, he's with the others. How can this be? I told them of what had happened. Finnegan looked like a man who was on death row, while everyone else looked, well, similar. Only Lilith and Douglas seemed to be taking the news relatively well, while Rodriguez looked to be a man enraged. I couldn't blame him. Why should we face something like Volgard again? Didn't we serve our time in hell already? After my tale, everyone was, well, very quiet. Rodriguez had sat in the corner and lit a cigar from a pack that he kept in his front shirt pocket. Finnegan sat with him and even smoked one himself, though I'm sure it was his first because, well, he was hacking and coughing. He also looked a tad bit green. Lilith paced and was talking or praying to herself, but I wasn't close enough to hear what it was. And Douglas had found a stove in the far corner and lit a small fire. His face was filled with the light as he stared into the flames. I wondered what he was thinking. Rebecca? Well, she was glued to me. She sat next to me with only maybe an inch or two between our bodies. Every so often, she would look at me, but only if she 
was sure that I could not see. The whole thing was strange to me. I had only known her for a few days, yet she has begun to take up space in my thoughts constantly. I mean, it was strange. Not because I had never had girlfriends before the war. I've had a couple, and, well, and one of them I think I almost married. <sighs> I just thought that war had chewed up the very part of my soul that could love, or possibly love, or whatever. But I liked Rebecca. A lot. But it was definitely too soon to call it love. She spoke, her voice as smooth as silk and soft as a cloud. Can I ask a question? And you can tell me if it's none of my business, but what's Volgard? That made me stop breathing, and my heart pound as if I was standing in front of the beast itself. I looked over at Rodriguez to see if he had heard the question. He hadn't. He was too busy lecturing Finnegan on what made a good cigar and that you're not supposed to inhale. I let out a small sigh. Volgard was the first major battle we faced when we invaded the Bolshevik Federation. We had just toppled the Persian Empire three weeks before and was trying to punch into the soft underbelly of the Bolsheviks. The goal, while the Allied forces on the Eastern Front of what was formerly Russia would fight and then we could come up from underneath, hopefully end the war swiftly and easily by invading Moscow from the south before winter. That battle must have been bad if you're giving me a history lesson to avoid talking about it. Rebecca smiled like a homemaker would at a husband who had just had a hard day. It's okay. You, you don't have to talk about it. No, I will. It's just... I paused and took a deep breath. We lost a lot of men that day. Our battalion lost half of our fighting force. Our sister battalion had 35 men left after that day. One company from an attached unit had one man left. That sounds awful. She placed a warm, soft hand on my shoulder, which in doing so made my heart feel light and bubbly. How could I be talking about a horrible thing, yet start feeling like a schoolboy with a crush? I'm, I'm sorry I brought it up. You, you don't have to talk about it. No, it's okay. Maybe talking about it would be therapeutic. Just don't ask Rodriguez about it. He had it worse that day than me. He probably had it worse that day than anybody. She nodded her head and gave me a sweet smile. Man, I could get used to seeing that smile. The Bolsheviks were desperate. The tide of war had changed dramatically ever since we defeated the Persians and they were feeling it. We pushed up the Volgard with little effort and, well, barely a fight. Just past Volgard, there was probably a good fighting defensive position, but really, there wasn't a whole lot in between us and Moscow in the way of fighting men at this point. So, they released their last resort. I paused for a moment, taking a deep breath. The memories were still fresh. The pain? Well, that was even fresher. I looked at her. Her eyes showed a caring that only a lucky man could hope for. With her staring at me like that, well, gave me the courage to go on. They released their so-called secret weapons. Five creatures, more beast than man upon us. A few of them, well, they were over nine feet tall. One at least 15 feet, and they were hideous. They could pick up a man and bite his head off like, well, someone biting into a candy bar. You could throw anything at him and they just kept coming and eating. 
Upon that, we were being mowed down by Bolsheviks. We would have lost that battle if it not for the fact that the creatures didn't care who they killed. They started going after the Bolsheviks at one point, as much as us. And eventually, well, men on either side had to join together or die. How did you stop those things? Rebecca's voice was barely loud enough for me to hear. Fire. The tallest and ugliest one picked up, well, let's just say a good friend of ours. He was done for. It, it sucks because the chaplain right after picked up a flamethrower and leapt up the beast's backside. It dropped him and howled. Rodriguez, seeing what had happened, just froze, which is really unlike him. That guy has stared down the face of death more times than I can count. However, him seeing what had happened to his... I paused, again trying to force my heart to slow. But with her next to me and me reliving my story, this was easier said than done. Anyways, fire was one of those things weakness. I've heard rumors there are other things that can kill it, but I don't know. So at least we know how to fight this one. Rebecca looked determined as though we could win. Yes and no. Only fire from certain people did any damage at all. It was odd, actually. I answered, hoping that it did not cause her to fear. I wonder, she looked over at her sister. Anyway, thank you for trusting that story to me. It, it must have been hard to talk about. She turned back to me and placed her hand on mine. In doing so, my heart began to dance. I grabbed her hand and held it. It just felt right to, like my hand belonged there. As if it was designed to do this very thing and that was its sole purpose. She blushed and the corner of her mouth lifted as she gazed up at me. Moments could have passed and I would not have been able to count them. It was as if the world itself had stopped and time, well, took a break in order to just give us this moment. I'm, I'm going to go check on my sister. Rebecca winked at me, then released my hand and headed towards her sister, who was at the back of an abandoned stall. They began talking, but I couldn't make out what they were saying. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. And if you wouldn't mind following or subscribing to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to, that would be awesome. Right now, I'm a one-man show, so I do it all. Writing, editing, and production. If you can, eh, share this podcast on whatever social media you use and it would really help me out. Now, I will quit shamelessly plugging my own podcast in the middle of my own podcast. And I'll let you finish this episode. Thanks. My head was still spinning from the fear of reliving a horrible past, and also from the hand of holding someone so beautiful and perfect. The rest of the night was relatively quiet, thank goodness for that. Rebecca and myself pulled first watch. There was no hand holding, but I did learn more about her, that being a twin with Jacob was both a blessing and a curse. She loved her brother, but he could be a bit of a bonehead. That her parents had worked for the government. That Lilith was adopted by her parents when they had come across her as an orphan in their work. When I asked what her parents did, she never gave me a direct answer. But 
went into a story about how her father never really talked about his job, and their mother stopped working for the government when Lilith came into their lives. I told her about my childhood in Idaho, my fishing and hunting stories. She was either pretending to be interested in my stories or genuinely interested. It was hard to tell, but I liked to spin my stories to her anyway. I talked about my siblings, how my older brother tricked me into eating bugs, how my sisters got away with everything because they had my dad wrapped around their finger. Then our time ended way too fast and Rodriguez and Finnegan took over the walk. Rodriguez, I could tell, had not slept. More than likely, he was reliving Volgard in his head and I knew better than to ask him about it. The last time I tried, he said that some things are better left in the past and that I should leave it there, or he would punch me in the mouth. And by the sound of his voice, he actually meant it. Finnegan, however, had been dead asleep and still looked like he may be passed out. Time already? <sighs> Feels like I just went to sleep. He rubbed the sleep out of his eyes. Yeah, unfortunately for you, it's time. But for me, it's time to go to sleep. I smiled at him. So, how was your shift, or should I say, date? Rodriguez eyed me with a crooked smile. First off, keep it down. She just went to the stall over there to sleep. Secondly, it's not a date. I would take her to a way better place than here. The service sucks and, well, the atmosphere is lacking. I half chided him, half joked. Well, you two were getting to know each other like it was. Rodriguez sounded back with his smile wider. So, Douglas, um says keep the fire going but not too hot i was hoping to change the subject before my face was flushed it's supposed to get cold tonight due to us being in a higher elevation and well it's still being early spring anything else lover boy we need to worry about just the monsters i guess i shrugged then yawned i was ready to sleep i'd had my fill of adventure for today that night i had the most crazy dream it was as if everything was muffled some held hearts that beat in their hand that slowly turned to stone. Others held fire that was blood red and formed shapes I didn't understand. There in the center of the dark room was a square rock that looked to be molded glass in the shape of some altar. The figure would then place their fire or heart or whatever onto it, then hold out their hand and dribble some liquid onto the altar. Some fell to the ground after doing this and those who didn't would not care and step over the bodies like they were little more than an ugly rug in their path. Then a man who had not seen, or he had just appeared and walked to the altar, was clothed in a fine purple cloak, and a golden chain hung around his neck with a pendant that I swore I'd seen before, but for some reason I couldn't remember it. Unlike the others, I could see his face. He had a smile that unnerved me. In fact, his face barely looked human at all. Not like the monster I'd seen before, but human in every way, but at the same time not human at all, if that made any sense. Then his eyes looked in my direction, and he became very angry. It was as if he was possessed by rage and nothing else, and had spotted my invisible floating form. My book! My book! He yelled each time, more angry and desperate than the last. My book! My book! He then began to shift from rage to sorrow like a ice cube that was slowly melting into tears. My book. My book. Then he just cried. It was an ugly cry. The kind where snot leaks out of your nose and you shake. His mouth opened, just wailing, and strings of saliva clung to his lips and teeth. Then a huge hand grabbed my shoulder and shook me. I looked, but all I could see was a light. It filled everything. All the unnerving bitterness that had settled over me washed away. 
Then my belly sprang a piece that bubbled through me into my chest and it spread to my hands and feet. It was like being in a warm bath. A voice called out, The path you walk will reveal its purpose. Everything you have gone through is not for nothing. And then the huge hand shook me again, and I opened my eyes to see, at first everything was blurry, but it slowly came into focus. A tall man stood over me with a smile. We made it to morning. I yawned and tried as hard as I could to rub the sleep from my eyes, then removed my hands to see Douglas, smiling. I think everyone is getting ready to head into the inn, find something to eat. Hopefully Leslie set out on just getting to the pole station and leaving this godforsaken place. Good morning, Sleepy. A smooth voice like honey came over Douglas's shoulder. Rebecca, who had faced the same treatment as the rest of us being stuck in the stable, looked as stunning as ever. It is as if she woke up perfect. Uh, good morning, I tried to say back with a smile. She continued past the stall I was sleeping in to some unknown destination. Douglas looked at me, then looked at the direction Rebecca went and shrugged. Well, glad to see life carries on even in the face of danger, he chuckled. I looked over at the other stall, but I didn't see Rodriguez. I don't think he slept. He took over Lil's watch for the rest of the night, said that he slept during your watch, and that was enough, which I think he was still up when I went to sleep. I'm pretty sure he was up the whole time of my shift. Don't worry, he's good with little to no sleep, but I'll check on him all the same. Where is he? He and Finnegan went to fetch the horses some water. Okay, I guess I better go talk to the stable boy's mother. She... She deserves to know. I stood up and dusted the straw off my back. I'll handle it. You already had a rough day yesterday. You sure? I mean... I saw what happened and, well, it, it should be my responsibility. If I could have just been faster to the water, then I could have... Douglas cut me off. There was nothing you could do, so don't put that on yourself. I will handle it. Probably best I do. You just make sure everyone gets to the inn okay. I think we are safe from those things in the light, but I'm not 100% sure. Those things can come out during the day, but I think they prefer the night. How do you know? Douglas gave me a look of surprise. Ugh. Unfortunately, this is not the first time I've encountered something like this. Douglas shook his head. Let me guess, in the war. Yeah. I averted my gaze, hoping he would not ask me for more details. He got the hint and said, You go on and get yourself some breakfast. I'll catch up with you guys when I'm done. <sighs> you should not do it alone. I can at least... Douglas raised a hand in a motion to stop me. I won't be alone. Lilith is staying behind as well. And not to be rude, but what does she know about handling this? Lilith's an old soul. She's very wise for her age. I trust her with this. Now, go get some food. Douglas gave me a stern look that said, This matter is settled. Again in the daylight did look a little better, but not by much. Still very run down, still very neglected, yet not as creepy. The sounds of men arguing rattled the walls so bad as I walked up to the front door I knew I was stepping into a hornet's nest. Leslie could very clearly be heard through the door. 
The other two men's voice I could not recognize, but they were almost as vigorous as Leslie. I took a deep breath, sighed, and pushed open the door. Damn it! They're my contractors. I hired them, and you got no right to tell me otherwise. I don't care what branch of the government you work for. That was Leslie, and his face was its usual purple red as ever. Ha! I do, in fact, said the bald, nicely dressed agent Aaron Miller. Executive Order 3124 states any agent from the Office of Magic and Anomaly or the Office of Interior Defense has the right to pull any government contractors deemed necessary to complete this mission critical business for a period of time. Said period of time cannot interfere with contractors' obligation duties for more than necessary and cannot place contractors' original mission or duties in jeopardy of the failure. I know the executive order, Agent Miller. You pulling what little men could cost me not making it over them Rockies before winter. That would jeopardize our duties. Not to mention, we still need to fill the polling station's fuel tank that just a few miles from here. Leslie leaned back with a smile. Well, it was more of a sneer crossed with a smile, but for Leslie, it's probably as close to one as you're going to get. Agent Miller filled it with his bowler hat and then smiled. How long will that take? Why? Leslie grunted. Just answer the question, Mr. Peterson. Three days. And how many men do you need? All of them. If the bandit attack... Agent Miller cut off Leslie with a slap of the table. No one except this town, whatever creatures are out there, and us is in this area. I will take four of your contractors who recently were discharged from the army. We will conduct a recon mission and you will have them back to you in three days. You will then be compensated and so will they. And what, your funny money? Give me a break. Leslie returned back to his normal red-faced self. Four men, three days, Mr. Peterson. You got no choice. Leslie swore and stood up so fast his chair fell over with a crash. I swear I could just shoot you in the... Agent Miller cut off Leslie again. Mr. Peterson, do you know threatening a federal agent is a crime punishable by death? That would really put a damper on your mission. He said coldly in a slight tick in his right eye that made him look more devilish. You have three days. Then we are all out of here. Leaving, Agent. Every last one of us. Got it? Three days. This has been A Better Utopia, an audiobook podcast, Chapter 6, Memories of Volgard, written by Counterculture Rebellion. Follow us on Facebook at the Better Utopia Facebook page for more details and updates. probably also wondering when's the next episode well 
November 22nd, but it won't be another chapter. It'll be a small special episode due to the holiday week. It'll be kind of a look on, well, pulling the curtain and kind of seeing what goes on with the podcast and how it's made and a little bit about myself. But we will resume again December 6th for another episode in another chapter. Thank you guys so much for listening. The positive support has been just great from all of you, and I really appreciate it.